0: Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee and welcome to episode 27 of the Benzo Free Podcast. Have I mentioned how much I enjoy corresponding with each one of you? I have. <laughs> I guess I've said that a few times. It's true, though. Most of this is done through email. I'm, I'm old school. You probably know that. And email is where I'm most comfortable. Well, second only to speaking face-to-face. That's my favorite. But we don't do that as much as we used to, do we? I'm just not much of a texter or chat room guy or even Facebook. I'm, I like direct correspondence one-on-one. Anyway, I correspond regularly with some of you, and I really enjoy that. But lately, I've met some new people, too. Some of you have submitted questions or comments or even stories, and we've had a chance to chat via email, and that's been really cool. I've really enjoyed getting to know some new people. Most of the questions and concerns I receive are about how to handle symptoms, especially the psychological symptoms of withdrawal. As you probably know, psychological symptoms are often the ones that last the longest, often longer than the physical symptoms. Anxiety, memory loss, and cognitive dysfunction, for many people, are the last ones to fully heal. And they also affect all of the other symptoms. I've said enough times in this podcast that if you can manage your anxiety, all the other symptoms will lessen. But that's hard to do. We have so many triggers, so many emotions, so many thoughts that trigger that anxiety, that fear, that cognitive confusion that we have. And that brings me to a word I want to share with you today. The word is shempa. It's spelled just like it sounds, S-H-E-N-P-A, shempa. I love this word. Shempa is the Tibetan word for attachment. Yes, I spent some time studying Buddhist psychology during my withdrawal. This is probably not a surprise to you. I use the term Buddhist psychology because I'm not really a Buddhist. I'm not really anything as far as religious labels go. I I respect religion. I really do and think many of them have wonderful things to teach us. But I'm just a skeptical kind of guy, and I find it hard to believe something without seeing evidence. I'm not saying I'm right. It's just how my mind works. (laughs) I think of myself as a seeker, and I'll probably be seeking till my final demise, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't mind the search. The search for truth, the search for answers is what keeps me going. I love that. That's why I think I research so much. That's why I read so much is I'm always curious. I have a faith in God, but my relationship with him is mostly personal and doesn't follow any specific dogma. I'm open to input from all sources and I am always willing to learn, which is what I did during my withdrawal. Anyway, Buddhist psychology helped me. Something different will probably help you. And I think that's great. That's perfect. It's the way it's supposed to be. I just wanted to tell you where I'm coming from, kind of in an effort of full disclosure, so you knew where where I was. So let's get back to our topic at hand, which is Shempa. Zyarkantral Rinpoche, who's a Tibetan Buddhist teacher, refers to Shempa as the charge behind our thoughts, words, and actions and the charge behind our likes and dislikes. Shampa is what motivates our habitual patterns and our addictions. I was first introduced to this word by Pema Chodron. In her audio book, Don't Bite the Hook, she analyzes and comments on the work of Shantideva, who was an 8th century Buddhist monk. And during that talk, she often speaks of this term. Her definition of Shampa is simply this, something that hooks us. I like that. I I can relate to that. To me, Shempa is emotion, especially strong emotion, which is tied to a value or a thought or a person we might know or a group of people in the world or, or anything we feel strongly about. To use Pema's words again, she says it's the urge, the urge to do something habitual or reactionary, even if we know it is unhealthy. Many times this urge is tied to anxiety. Let let me break this down a bit with an example. What if I said to you, I love blue. It's the best. Pretty benign comment, don't you think? Well, maybe most of you might feel that way. Perhaps you thought to yourself, yes, you are right. I like blue too. Or you said, no, red is better. But really, who cares? Or maybe you even felt a bit stronger and thought, no, it's orange, and I can prove that. But one of you, perhaps, has a stronger reaction to what I said. Let's use somebody that we're going to call, say, Melinda, okay? When Melinda was four years old, her mom abandoned her. And the day she left, she was wearing a blue dress and drove off in a blue car. And then Melinda's first husband, Herb, cheated on her. And he had blue eyes and always wore blue t-shirts. You get where I'm going, don't you? Do you think Melinda has the same reaction as you do to the color blue? When Melinda hears me say, I love blue, she has a visceral reaction. Intense negative feelings rise in her gut, and her whole day might be ruined. She can't let go of this deep-seated angst, anger, and sadness. She doesn't really hate blue. She hates the way the thought of blue makes her feel. She hates what it represents to her. I wanted to talk about Shempa today because in benzo withdrawal, Shempa is a big deal. When we're healthy and not dealing with benzo dependence and withdrawal, our GABA receptors help us manage these types of feelings. Sure, it still affects us and our actions, but we have some semblance of a mechanism to manage it. When we are in benzo withdrawal, well, the brake line has been cut, and Shempa has free reign to do what it wants to do. We lose our rationality and succumb to our more basic instincts like fear, anger, hatred, sexual urges, frustrations, being overwhelmed, anxiety, depression... The list is endless. And Shempa isn't all bad. It can be a good feeling, too. My wife asked if I wanted to go to the mountains next weekend. And when I heard that, I had a sudden good feeling, a positive feeling. My Shempa kicked in. The mountains represented a good thing for me. Shempa comes down to perception. The same word may incite fear and anger in some, but in others... They might think it's benign or or even positive. Shempa is different in every person. And it all is based on our perceptions, our values, our filters which modify the incoming messages and make them into something good or something bad. I think it's important to find out what our Shempas are, what thoughts or actions or behaviors incite us the most, and that we look at them. We find ways to ease the shempa, to ease the hook, to ease that urge, that strong emotional tie, and learn how to let go to move on. Or even better, not even bite the hook in the first place. Well, I would best move on to the rest of the podcast. Like I do many times, I rambled on a bit in our introduction, and I want to thank you for bearing with me. I'll list some resources in our show notes. I hope this was helpful. And if it wasn't, I'm sure you'll let me know. Today is the second part of our doubleheader. Today, we will release both episodes 26 and 27 of the Benzo Free Podcast, which are parts one and two of our interview with Geraldine Burns. Since we are doubling up on shows this week, we will not have a new episode next week. Just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Like I said, I'm going up to the mountains for a bit of recovery. (laughs) But we'll be back the following week with another new episode in our regular format. And to allow room for the interview, we will reduce our sections of the podcast today. We'll keep our introduction, which you just heard, and close with our moment of peace at the end. Our mailbag and benzo stories will return in a couple of weeks. And we still need feedback, questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, or the reason why ducks have such skinny legs. I need feedback. <laughs> this is your podcast, and the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes a community it was designed to be. So please tell us what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback, or email us at podcast at and don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at bensofree.org slash subscribe. And please remember that the Bensofree podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you are listening to this podcast and one of our providers, please leave feedback on that carrier. This helps new listeners find us. Let's move on to our feature. Our feature today is an interview with Geraldine Burns. This is the second part of our two-part interview. If you haven't heard part one, which includes Geraldine's bio, please go back and listen to that one first. And now, without further delay, let's join the interview already in progress.
1: So do. it, I've done a lot of speaking um, in at the state house, uh-huh. and I was fortunate enough to, the night before Governor Baker's opioid meeting, I was fortunate enough to be invited to that, at, you know, so the night before I get a late-night phone call, to be in there and to speak. Yeah. And, um, so now you know you got the the you know because again, we're our committee that's listening to us here in Massachusetts, they are listening, but we needed to be at that opioid meeting, and thank God, I mean, we were in there, and I spoke, and I got three minutes, you got three minutes. To a T, there's a clock on you to make a point, <laughs> and I, I and I want to thank so that night Janice Curl from uh, mm-hmm. from um, Bick and um, and then um, also uh, Nicole from W Bad. I mean, right. we're all on the phone that night, making sure we've got some specifics that we could share that night because you got to have facts. And then I think the one fact why I was invited in there because my own niece um, when she was thirty was, um, you know, on a, on, a, on Xanax, and she was in a car accident and put on a pain pill, and she died, 30 years old, leaving oh. three little girls behind. And they heard that at one of our hearings, so I think that's why I was invited in, so we could bring in the combination of opioids and benzos.
0: Right.
1: The amount of deaths that, uh, I Absolutely. think it was over 60% of deaths from an opioid, a benzodiazepine was involved.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, let's back up on that a little bit. Um, some people might not really know about the Massachusetts legislation's efforts. Um, could you sure. just talk a little bit about that and how that got started and, when, and where it stands today?
2: Sure. So
1: when I started, uh, the whole idea of legislation was, you know, no one's listening. How mm-hmm. do we get them to listen? And uh, so Representative Paul McMurtry, I was at a fun uh, fundraiser. Thank God it was next door because I was so agoraphobic. I could just go next door <laughs> to it. And I talked to him about filing legislation for this pill that has caused so much harm to my life. And he said, sure, write it up. And, uh, I didn't know what to do, but at the time my son was in law school. So once my son Garrett finished law school, well, he ends up working for representative McMurtry and I mentioned it to him again and he goes, write it up. So my son and I sat here at the table and he said, my son said, what do you want in the bill? And Mm -hmm. I told him everything I wanted and I wanted to, um, number one, um, short-term reason, short-term prescription. There's no need, a lot of people were given a month's supply with three refills. That's gotta stop. Right. And so you think, well, it's a harmless pill. The other thing we wanted was if you were on them long-term that it is up to the person to, be, um, to make the decision to come off. Because we have seen for all these years in all the support groups, people wind up because the doctor just cut them off.
2: Right, right. That has
1: to stop. To me, that's a crime um i'm trying to think of what else you know it's because we've got it coming up again we also wanted a um we wanted a, a symptom-based taper mm-hmm. because again we don't want doctors forcing people off at at a rate that is just not comfortable we all have different lives different circumstances you know different metabolism so we wanted that but no matter what we put in it it's so people understand if they want to do something in their state. Uh and my son's always been great at his office. Anybody that wanted to talk to him, um, you know, that he has he has talked to, other uh people have called to talk to him as to what to do. But it you know, will always go to house Council Once in an um a representative files a bill, mm-hmm. it always goes to house Council for them to go over it. And it can change and look like something you don't even you wish you didn't do it. And yeah. we saw some things in there that we didn't like when they change it, because when you see the word guideline, and I talked to the physician in chief where I used to work and he, I want him to come in and speak. And he said, no, because he goes all these guidelines with all these drugs. And I said to him, but you told me years ago that you took 50 patients off of benzos and they all did better cognitively, but physically they are also sick. You had to put them all back on. She said, "Right, but if if one bill goes through from one drug, then uh, then another drug, they're going to be all these guidelines. And when there are guidelines, you have to adhere to the guidelines. So we don't want guidelines. Right. So in our last time we went before the committee, it's going to be a committee that will sit down. Okay. And I hope that either you know myself, or Sonia Seidlow, who has been
2: mm-hmm. phenomenal
1: because with my husband sick, she's really the one who's you know really getting involved and she's got her senator also has filed a bill this year so we've got bills so there's the house and the senate so okay. the benzo bill is in the house and the senate now two years in a row which is great so you've got originally it was just the house um that was filing so it, it's a process i mean politics so
2: yeah <laughs> and i
1: knew we'd never pass the first time okay um and the second time you know i was hopeful but we'll be going up for a third time. And even Governor Baker's opioid bill, it took three times for him right. to have his bill passed. And then there's a process even after that. So we'll make sure there was a little glitch in, in our filing. Amendments can always be added, you know, so it's not nothing set in stone. We can make sure that people are protected. So it is it is a process. But it's sad that we have to come to this because, as I've said when I've spoken in at the Statehouse, there's over 1,600 scientific articles. That was 20 years ago Mm -hmm. that, you know, that those 1600, how many more have been added? How many newspaper articles, how many more books have been written? Why is it that nobody is listening? Now I'll tell you, being here in Massachusetts and in Boston, when we went in to speak the first time and anybody who was there, it was um, unbelievable because we were up against five Harvard trained doctors that came up against us. Uh And let me tell you, (laughs) Every single one of them was just saying how wonderful they were. In fact, one of them said they were safe. That benzodiazepines were safer than aspirin, and you could hear everyone in the room gasp. One person had to leave in tears when he said that. And this is a doctor that um, really—it's yeah. What we've had to go up against here in Massachusetts has been tough. So next time when we went up uh, against, uh, you know, up against them, only two showed up. Okay. Um, so that was interesting. So we'll see how many show up this time because we're not going to give up. We'll just, right. we'll just keep going.
0: Right. You have to. You have to.
1: Yeah, you have to. And I, I you know, I could say um, in New Jersey, um, somebody mm-hmm. who was so, so sick, uh, Carmela, who uh, amazing, this woman is so ill, from her sick bed, she called her representative. And that, so again, Massachusetts is a little bit tougher. You know, we're kind of old school politics here. She was able to get that, her her bill, the bill was written up, and I think they're waiting for hearing already. Right, so right. every state's different. Some states are going to be a lot easier. So when I go in, I always say to them, you know, we were the first, you know, to file legislation. Other states are doing it. You know, let's be the first to pass it, but
2: yeah.
0: we'll see what happens. I, it's, I know. I mean, all I can do is, like you said, is you just keep going. And you've been doing yeah. that wonderfully over the years. You just keep going. Um, another another part, something you're involved with, which some people may not know, is um, BenzoBookReview dot com. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So BenzoBookReview dot com started because um, Dr. Grisanti, who um, he had all the computer knowledge. You know, mm-hmm. he used to say to me because I had the support group, and at that time we had uh, just Heather Ashton's the, the the Ashton Manual that we were shipping out from my house. You know, just go. We were getting them copied and shipping them out, and he said you need to go bigger he's like do you know the authors of all the other books and i said i do and he said you know then let's get the rights to them and because a lot of people didn't even know about the other books you know um heather jones's book prisoner on prescription the accidental attic you know we got the last you know few thousand copies out of australia so we'd have those um uh, felicity bylovich had a couple of books out of um south africa so we got the rights to all the books, and let me tell you, that was a lot of work. Every single page had to be scanned and proofed,
0: so oh, that at wow. the click
1: of a button, you can have any one of those books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that helped because I see, you know, I see the artists coming in, and I, they are coming in from all over the world, all yeah. over the world. It's, you know, Shirley Trickett uh, took her book yep. "Free Yourself from Tranquilizers and Sleeping Pills," and she updated it. To um, I think she calls it uh, tranquilizers and antidepressants now because she added antidepressants in. Mm-hmm. Same with Pam Armstrong who has passed away now. Pam's organization CETA, which was Council for Involuntary Tranquilizer Addiction, then they also added antidepressants yeah. into um, into their organization.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll admit when I published my book I had no clue how many were actually out there.
1: Right. Well, you know Heather Heather Ashton had said mm-hmm. to me. When I was collecting information for mine, she said, "Well, Geraldine, what's going to be different from yours and what Shirley Trickett did? Now Shirley's mm-hmm. book had been out there already for years. So interestingly enough, there was a, a a European version and an American version. In the American version, she had to take certain things out that weren't allowed, you know, uh, to be published here in this country. Okay. But um, I said to her, we need something." to validate that what we're going through is real. So, you know, Shirley's not a doctor. And I hate to say that we have to have a doctor because as survivors, I had doctors calling me who were sick on benzos, you right. know, who were clueless. And um, I said to her, I need it to be, to validate what we're doing. I need it for doctors to read, to be, but to be simple enough for somebody sick to read. And, and she did an amazing job. And oh. and like I said, when that came out, even though I had collected information from all over the world, because I really wanted to show this worldwide effort. Well, we have the internet. We see the worldwide effort now. We have mm-hmm. you know organizations. You know Luke Montague's um, you know Council for um, right. um, Evidence Based Psychiatry. Um, you know there's you know there's there's just so much that we have. And you know with BIC now, I think is is wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know Benzo Information Coalition. And with W. Bet, so this we're 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 together internationally. You know, right. we didn't. I felt like we didn't need another book. Also, uh, when Baylissa put out her book, yeah. um, I remember I took the time to finally. I had said to Baylissa, she had sent me her book, and I I never had time to read it.
0: And okay. my husband,
1: it's always my husband. He I was the sick one for so long. My husband had a heart attack. first heart attack back in 2009, Mm -hmm. I I think. And so while we're in the hospital, I thought, well, it's quiet here. And I read her whole book. And and I I remember I put a review. I'd never done a review. And I thought, you know what? I don't need to ever write a book because I have that. And that's why podcasts are constantly, we have new people, new information, new experts that will come forward. And so podcasts to me, and people want to hear a voice.
0: Exactly. And
1: um, so I like that my son said, you know, this is this is where you're going now because you know we'll do them when you have time, and and then you, if somebody calls you say go listen to so and so story on my podcast.
0: And I, I think that's I think that's key because I think one of the things one of the reasons why, and I still talk to a lot of people who are currently writing their book, is just validation of their story. I think a lot yeah. of people just want to tell their story, and that's the same reason. Like on our podcast, I, I share a story every episode from somebody. Either read it myself, or I have them record it and I share it, because I think that's really vital. People want to they want some validity, and they want they want to tell their story. They want this to be real, and I think by either yeah. writing a book or by sharing it, they're they're validating their experience.
1: Right. And not only that, I need to think. Everybody thinks they are the sickest, they are the worst,
0: exactly. and they
1: need somebody else who is like just like them. So mm-hmm. I, it's kind of like um, what's that game? Concentration, where you pull yeah. up the two cards at <laughs> the same.
0: Exactly. I
1: try to get somebody just like them.
0: Mm-hmm. And I always
1: say to somebody, if I talk to you, I said I'm like the Godfather. I'm going to come to you at some point, and I'm not. I'm going to wait till you recovered and I'm going to ask you to talk to somebody because I need you to talk to them. And I'm very careful when I do that. Okay. I have to know that they're recovered. I have to tell the person, look at this is a favor. You know, you're not to call them all the time. Right. But you want to talk to somebody who's just like you, which is why I want to bring them on. You know, um, also so then we could just say, go listen to you know D story. Go listen to this story. Yeah. Um, it's it's important that because when I talk to somebody. And I've learned though, you actually put yourself back in that situation so that you could talk to them and remember what you went through. That is yes, true. Yes, I had headaches so bad that I had to have. I laid on my bed for two weeks with such pain in my head. Yeah, mm-hmm. I never thought it would go away. You know, my husband. I can remember my husband making me take uh, Tylenol, and I thought, nope, I don't want to affect my liver. And I did it once, and I said to him. Yeah. Didn't touch the headache at all. I will ride this out and then gone. My last tachycardia attack was one year off of the drugs. One oh. year, and I've never had a problem
2: since.
0: Let's let's move on to kind of your your tips or, or information you might be able to provide since you've had such you know such extensive experience in the community and with your own personal experience. One of the key things I run into all the time, and I'm sure you do too, and I know you had the same problem, is just people trying to find a doctor.
1: It's it's not easy. I mean, I wish I had one. Yeah. And I, I remember when, when people tell me they have one, I'm like, you know, you are so fortunate. And one day I got a phone call from Dr. Stephen Gresset, um, who has passed away. We're losing so many wonderful people
2: yeah. from Maine.
1: And he said, Geraldine, I need other doctors like myself that know benzos, you know, what they're doing. The majority of people coming into the ER are all on benzos. I said, y- you're a gold find, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. I mean, I couldn't, after I was off, I mean, I went to so many doctors, you know, for help. And I, then I even went back to the original psychiatrist that drugged me. Now I have in my hands information from CETA in England. I've got a book written, you know, on benzos by a doctor. Um, I had a whole bunch of stuff that I had now located because, again, I'm I'm very sick and protracted withdrawal. And she looks at all of, all of it and she said to my husband, like she said to my husband, you know, she's not addicted to these, you know, and she's just saying all this stuff. And, and I, to be honest, that's when I thought I am the sickest that I'm probably ever going to be in my life. And you, and oh, and oh, and here's the other thing she did. She wrote her a prescription for Ativan and told me she wanted me on it for the rest of my life. Right. And how tragic is that? And that was when I knew right then and there that I would sue her. Like I okay. came to you for help. You did this to me. I lost the right to have more children. Because of you, and then you want me back on it. You don't want to help me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was very upsetting. But to find a doctor, I think a lot of people actually start calling around first. Yeah. And functional medicine doctors, I always say they don't have to know about tapering, but they do understand everybody is an individual. It's not a one-size-fits-all so I, I do recommend trying to find a functional medicine doctor. I, there are even functional medicine psychiatrists like that I've seen online when I've looked for somebody in another state. Okay. Um, so, But but again, if anybody did listen to my podcast when I say how to get ready, if I had to do it over again, that's my best advice I give people. We wouldn't just get up one day and go run a marathon. Right. You get ready for it. And so changing your diet Gentle exercise. You don't just start exercising. You know, you, everything should be gentle and easing up.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: if, if you don't have to go to somebody. Just start making the changes. You know, get off of all these foods with a lot of chemicals in them. It's simple. People say, well, I don't have the time or the energy Cooking can be the most simplest thing that you do. Keep it simple. Meats and vegetables, you know, very little fruit, like the berries are good for you. Blueberries, I think, because I love the website, greenmedinfo, mm-hmm. um, com, and blueberries are so good for the brain. And I, you know, I don't love blueberries, so I have to get them in, you know, in a <laughs> smoothie or something. Right. But they are so good for the brain. And I can tell you some now that I, I tell them, you've got to eat a lot of blue. They are doing so well. Oh, um, so I think, and I'm not saying blueberries are the answer by any means. It's just one more thing to put in. Water, water, water. We've got to right. wash ourselves out. Yeah, hydration. Um, you know, so you don't have to take something to help your digestion if you can get some fermented foods in to help your digestion. The way our grandparents did it. Right. Um, another thing that I'm 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 a big believer in um, Sally Fallon's book, Nourishing Traditions, is a great book. I know one of our girls. Um, who was very sick, and she couldn't take any supplements. She only ate out of Sally Fallon's cookbook and got so healthy. Oh, good. So, again, she did it all with food the way our grandparents did it, you right. know, fermented foods. And, you know, she did, like, the raw, um, you know, kefirs and stuff like that and good meats and, um Yeah. Just yeah. you can keep it simple. It doesn't have to be difficult. And support. Tell your family. Tell your friends. And if you're embarrassed, find the ones that you're closest to. Or then yeah. that's where you go find your benzo friends online. But my family and my husband's family and my friends were all informed. I, I mean, I am very lucky that I had tremendous, tremendous support.
2: So yeah, that
0: exactly. was a
1: big saver. If I was isolated, like so many, that would have, you know, that would have destroyed me. Right. But you know what? We have plenty that were isolated and they did have some, just that one or two good Benzo friends online and then you see them get healthy. And I've seen some that got so healthy. And guess what? Family members that snubbed them wound up on Benzos and coming to them for
0: help. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it does come around.
1: It does mm-hmm. come around, you know. It takes It takes being on it. It's funny. My own mother, who used to say, "Well, you know, I'm not like you. I can mm-hmm. take pills. I don't have a problem." When my mother fell back a few years ago, she my mother has polio, so she had to go into rehab until I could get to Florida to help her, and they put her on Ambien. Oh. Yeah. Uh, for two months, my mother was on Ambien, and so then when I my daughter and I arrived in Florida the night my sister brought her into the house down there. I knew my mother was in trouble. As soon as I brought her in, the light was bothering her eyes. We were talking. She's covering her ears. She's like, you know, and I said, mom, you're having, you know, you're having a problem from the ambient. Well, I never did before when I took it. I said, doesn't matter. Right. So she said, well, don't, please don't take me off of it now. So we were in Florida for 17 days, flew my mother back here, and then I had to wean my own mother off, which was heartbreaking. So I was grateful in the sense that everything I had experienced, there was my mother with heart issues and, you know, the sensitivity or she couldn't be alone. I sleep in bed with her. Um, She became the most humble, gentle person during it. I said, maybe we should just kind of keep you in a uh, withdrawal state here. But, (laughs) you know, it ruined my mother's sleep, ruined my mother's sleep. And she never had a problem sleeping prior to Ambien. So, I did get some natural stuff that we we kind of had a routine every night to get her as she was going to bed. I then she got to a point where she said, "No, don't, don't cut me." Well, I was tapering her very slowly. Yeah, so I got to the point that you know mentally she didn't want to know she was tapering. So I would very carefully; she never knew what she was getting, and we just weaned her very slowly and. Aside from um, she did very well, she had a little bit of depression for a while that lasted, and it was her sleep. And so eventually she did take a little Trazodone, and okay. then we, I got her off of the Trazodone, um, You know, again, mm-hmm. with some natural stuff.
2: Okay. But she
1: said, I need my sleep. I'm like, okay, I – and here's another thing. People are shocked when I say this. Uh, we're not in somebody else's body. We cannot say don't ever take another drug. Right. We are not them. We don't know what support they have. And I have seen some that have taken an antidepressant to get through it, and that is their choice, Mm -hmm. and that's their life, and I don't criticize anyone for it. Now, I know some that were very grateful they did it, and then they weaned off and they were fine. Right. And I know some that said, I wish I never took it. So, again, that's their decision with them and their family. No one should ever criticize some of it. I'm also not against benzos. There is a use for them in this society. Yep. But it has to be responsible. When I see online, you know, to ban them, mm-hmm. well, what about all the people on them? You, you, you are ruining somebody else's life. We just—that's what legislation is about. It is about the responsible use of these drugs. And if somebody, if there was a Columbine-type situation and my kids were in that school or mm-hmm. something happened, uh, you know, you'd have to give me something. You know, well now yeah. I, I wouldn't. But you know. We can't deny people a drug that we know can help and I know people are shocked when I say it, but I've even said it when I when I go and I speak and at the hearings. Because first of all, if somebody in their state goes to speak at a hearing and mentions banning the drugs, I can tell you right then they're gonna stop listening to you right there.
0: Right. I know. Yeah. It's yeah. the
1: responsible use of these drugs. And I know with um there was a, a, a family here where I live and there was a quick sudden death of a teenager. And the mother was on uh, meds to get through it and take it right off. And so that's oh, yeah. how it was used. They were very careful with her. Yeah. And, um, and then she had to go deal with the death of her son.
0: Oh. Well, you know, it's, it's probably a good time for us to start wrapping things up. Any, any last, um, last things you'd like to say to our listeners before we, we um, end the interview?
2: So,
1: you know, I know people get scared looking at the horror stories. And when I started my support group, I'm all about um, support and encouragement. And that's why I used to try to get people who were off the drugs and recovered to encourage us. So Mm -hmm. always look at the positive, stay away from the negative. I have one of my childhood friends who's tapering right now. She has never been online. She doesn't look at a thing. So she doesn't see somebody else's horror because we tend to catastrophize when we're going through this. You know what I mean? It's like you're taking me to the guillotine and you're going to cut my head off because that's how fragile I was. So keep yourself surrounded with positive, uh, people,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: laughter. I can even say with my husband with cancer, I mean, people think that we're crazy cause we do a lot of laughing. I think yeah. it's, it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, what is it a laugh? Put a comedy on, put a comedy you on bet. and, and you put, it really does help. Yep. Um, And then, you know, don't – I know there are people that say, oh, I want to do what you do. I want to jump in and help. No. Get yourself recovered (laughs) first. It's all about you and your health right now. And if somebody is working, I have to say, if you're working, stay working. Mm -hmm. You know, because I know some that quit work. They quit everything that they had to do this. That's why if you do everything gentle and you train, you know, you start – like training for a marathon, building yourself up. I think that's the best thing you could do. And then don't be petrified of it. And don't be petrified of the horror stories because you don't know what that person's doing. I've seen some that were saying how sick they were for so long and then we found out they were on another med or
2: how horrible
1: their habits are. You don't know somebody's full story when they're not recovering. So just be your own recovery story, really. And only look at everyone um, that's recovered. Go on and read the positive stories. Mm-hmm. I guess is my best advice. Because other than that, we're very, very fragile.
0: I agree. I agree. Thank you so much, Geraldine. This has been a pleasure talking to you today. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, well, you're welcome. Anytime. i am going to have you on my show.
0: I would love to. Anytime. would be great. And I'm going to put links to um, your podcast and to um, Benzo Book Review and other th- sources in our show notes so everybody can find those and, and see how to get to that. All right. Great. I really appreciate you taking the time, and and thanks again for talking with us.
1: All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay.
0: Bye-bye. I want to thank Geraldine for taking the time to speak with us. I really appreciate it. And please check out her podcast and website when you get a chance. I put links to both of those in our show notes. And that closes out our feature. Now let's take just 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional nor is he engaged in rendering medical, health, or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering on any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of the one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, continue on with your day. Please remember that you should do this exercise only if you are in a safe place to close your eyes and meditate. If not, please wait and do this later. Today we're going to return to basics and use a standard breathing meditation. The instructions are simple. Just focus on your breath, on the air entering your lungs and then leaving it again back into the world. This is one of the most basic forms of meditation and also one of the most effective. So let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in, hold it for a second, and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in, hold it for a second. And let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. Then let the breath out slowly, relaxing our entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally, and focus on your breath. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your breath again. No judgment at all. Continue to do this for one minute. There will be no new episode next week due to today's double header. Our next episode is episode 28, and it will be released Wednesday, July 24th. Thank you again for joining me today, and please let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.